This episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com slash better in the dark. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Sign up for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first book just for trying out their service. Some of the available titles include Kraken by China Melville, Suck It Wonder Woman by Olivia Munn and Mac Montadon, and Betrayers, a nameless detective novel by Bill Bronzini. So after you finish listening to BITD, why don't you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash better in the dark and get your free audio book today. This is Dean Martin, alias Matt Helm, asking you to help me uh, stamp out spies. Or at least muscle up a little. Feel better. We all feel better in the dark. Oh, Are you man. taking the piss? Yeah. I'm gonna fuck you up. Oh, man. I'm gonna fucking kill you. He's a funny yeah, guy. He's, he's a funny guy. But he's great. You know, he looks like a guy who wakes up in the morning. He reaches down, there's a bucket full of toast and coffee. Right. He pops right <laughs> And then he's chewing it while he's walking to the bathroom. Bringing the noise. Since 07. Yeah. The BK wait all day with these two DJ and Ferguson here to teach you that traps on a sure way to kill And Eva and Raquel, not now, never will The boys don't play, bring on all flicks If you ain't coming with it, they will say that it's ish Great, great man, you will get applause And when we say Christabel, everybody please pause Clive Barker, the musicals The man with the S to the Disney unusual Duck and cover when time's on the rant Or please sing along cause you know that they can't <laughs> So this one goes out to you and yours And all the great members of the message boards They call me B-hyphen and it's time to stop Cause we all feel better, better in the dark yeah, yeah. Luckily I dislike unnecessary violence Which may lead to unnecessary publicity Therefore you are going to South America On the next available flight With one million dollars in cash I'd hate myself in the morning. Too many? I'd hate myself twice in the morning. I'd lose my sense of values. You are interfering with plans as delicately balanced as a Swiss chronometer. I uh, don't have very much to offer. You're putting me on. Hmm? And until we get back in touch with you. Go watch that movie. Right, Davin? Go watch that Go ahead, sing the song, get it out of your system. It's the Rivals of Bond with Dean Martin, because he's drunk, and he likes to be drunk, but he likes to be a spy. Well, no, not really. He just likes to drink. And with that, <laughs> you think we're joking. Welcome to the first episode. See, I don't know what's wrong with this. This is the second one, yeah. Oh, the second one. We just finished the Guilt Age Bond, and now we're... Going into another series. This is the second one. The first one we did was on Flint. Was Flint about Derek Flint, and this one is about Matt Helm. Yes, it's another installment of the Rivals of Bond. Whereas Tom and I are going to be looking at some of the other spy characters of the sixties. So yeah. James Bond kicked off the big spy right. craze of the sixties, and then everybody and then everybody and them. Brother jumped onto the bandwagon with the Super Spy series. Some successful, some weren't. (laughs) Some were good, some weren't so good. Yes, and we're about to talk about one that ain't too good. But first, we have a piece of listener mail directly tied into this episode. But first, first, we want to remind you that this episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com for all your iPod and MP3 audiobook needs. They invite you, the listeners of Better in the Dark, to download a free audiobook with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. And among the books that you can maybe experience on Audible.com is Dean and Me, A Love Story by Jerry Lewis and James Kaplan, narrated by Stephen Howe. Also, you can download episodes of The Bob Hope Show. This, I'm assuming, is the old radio show, which guest star Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. This is all available through Audible.com. And if you want to take advantage of this special offer, just go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark and download your free book today. 
I asked one of our good message board people, Ed Henley, had posted something on our message board. I asked him to send it to me as an email because it ties in very closely to what we're about to discuss today. Well, hit him with it. Okay, and Ed writes, I love Bond. I love Harry Palmer. I love Mission Impossible, the series. Dighton, Le Carre, and all things Cold War spying. And I hate the Flint movies. <laughs> I love listening to you guys enthuse on the show. I love listening to Lee Pfeiffer from Cinema Retro on the box set commentaries. But I just don't like the movies themselves. Mainly, I'm not a fan of movie spy spoofs as I prefer some real tension. I do like some books like Tanner, the recent Mallory and Morris books, and the Lucifer Box series. The Tanner series should have been a movie series. Yeah. With these two pictures, here's what's great on me. As Tom mentioned... Coburn's physicality. He's thin and lanky, and it creeps me out for some reason. With his sleeves rolled up and his thin arms and those gleaming choppers. <laughs> he actually puts... <laughs> I gotcha. I can't explain it, but I've always felt it, and I think I said yes aloud when Tom mentioned this. I like the older Coburn in other things, especially the Stone Cold Caper, Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round, and Hard Times, and the TV thing he did of The Dane's Curse, but not here, or in The Magnificent oh, Seven, that was a Great great Escape. That was that a matter. great movie, The Dane Curse. Mm-hmm. Doesn't get rerun very often yeah. on TV. Well, wasn't it a miniseries? It was a two-parter, yeah. yeah. The way these are shot, these are like two-hour TV shows, there's no point of view, nothing cinematic. Everything is shot in these static, set-bound wide shots, even when you see Coburn climbing scaffolding high in the air. They're shot in such a way is to not showcase him doing his own stunts. We're told too much how cool Flint is. Show us instead. Each Bond film tends to convey that Bond is cool through his manner and action. Here they constantly tell us Flint is cool before we even decide for ourselves. To paraphrase a great, great man, Flint and Matt Helm were America's answers to James Bond, and they got the question wrong. Is he talking about me? Ah, listen. He lost me when he said that Flint wasn't okay. cool. Nowhere is this clearer than in both series' depiction of women. The women in the 60s Bond films were desirable athletic beauties. They may be vulnerable, but they're not helpless, and they're never stupid. Not so here. I can't even picture them in my head. They're so nondescript. And these films have this adolescent fixation on the hero having a harem, which seems a preoccupation of American movies at that time, possibly spurred by the popularity of Playboy magazine. Under the Yum Yum Tree, a creepy Jack Lemmon sex comedy I watched recently is similar in this regard. Bond wins and, yes, has actual grown-up sex with gorgeous women who are worth his time, rather than these infantile fantasy figures. And let's be clear, he does so one at a time. With the exception of the bathhouse scene in You Only Live Twice, Bond never is with more than one woman, and that scene ends with him and the sacrificial lamb alone. You do, however, see Bond amidst crowds of women in the U.S. ads and record sleeves for the films. Put another way, Flint and Helm are for the men, boys, who fantasize about looking at beautiful women, and the Bond films are for the men who fantasize about having sex with beautiful women. Anyway, great show. I truly wish I shared your enthusiasm. To make matters worse, I think I actually prefer the uniquely terrible Matt Helm to Flint. I wanted to read that on this episode because we don't agree with him on Flint, because we both love Flint. No, I didn't say anything. I think that he raises some valid points about Matt Helm. My mother always told me, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say anything at all. Thank you, Ed. So I ain't saying nothing. As you're about to find out as we go very quickly, because quite frankly, we want to get the pain over with. No, but go ahead. You were saying that he had made some valid points. About the Helm films. So I suppose we should explore those. For example, as we're about to find out, with one exception, all of the Matt Helm females are idiots. And are, in fact, there to be ridiculed by Dean Martin. True. Rather than to be true spy girls. True. There is a definite look to the Helm films that are kind of dull and washed out and not very top-notch. Well, it was an attempt at what they call that 60s pop look that Dean Martin is anything except hip. Especially at this point in his career. Maybe back during the 40s and the 50s. He was young and hip, but nothing points that out worse than in that terribly embarrassing scene where he's in the go-go with Anne margaret and he just looks like somebody's dad that's wandered into the wrong place while he was mm-hmm. trying to find the local pub. This is one of these series that, quite frankly, I find interesting more for how it came about than for the films themselves. Than what it is, yeah. Because you see, back in 1959, I think, there was this guy, Irving Allen. And Irving Allen was a producing partner of one Cubby Broccoli. One day, Cubby comes in with this book by this guy, Ian Fleming, and says, Irving, 
we really need to nail down the rights for this, because I really think these books will be great movies. And Irving read one of the Bond books and said to Cubby, there's no way that these books are going to be successful. They're cheesy as all hell. Mm -hmm. They'll make terrible movies. I don't want to do it. Thus ending the partnership of Alan and Broccoli. (laughs) Now, we know what happened to Cubby. Mm -hmm. Cubby keeps this idea under his hat, runs it to Harry Salzman, who actually bought the rights Mm -hmm. and starts what becomes the Eon Productions James Bond empire. (laughs) And Irving Allen didn't. Can you imagine this guy? I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when (laughs) the grossest for the first James Bond movie came in. Can you imagine how hard this guy kicked himself when he saw this? So anyway, Irving Allen, partly out of spite and partly out of a desire to get a piece of the pie that he foolishly cursed, runs out and buys the rights to the first spy property he can get his hands on, which is, of course, Donald Hamilton's Matt Helm. Which was a series of very popular books. And very brutal. We want to emphasize this. Never have two things been so far apart. I read a couple of them because my father was a big fan Mm -hmm. of them. Right. My father read that. He read the Shell Scott books. I love the Shell Scott books. Oh, yeah. My father was a Richard Prather was a genius. My father was a big fan of books like that. And he let me read a couple of them. He said, read this thing. Yes. You know what I think is criminal? The Matt Matt Helm books are so far from the movies, it's not even funny. You know what I think is criminal? That we've never seen Shell Scott on film. Yeah. He's a great character. Could you imagine Jake Busey as Shell Scott? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Or his father, if they were made in the 60s. If they were made in the 60s, yeah. That's not neither here nor there. Shell Scott is... A, but the novels, and Donald Hamilton wrote something like 30 novels. It was like 30 of them, yeah. 30 Mad Hell He wrote yeah, one year was between a if their inception in the 60s, 1971, mm-hmm. then came back to them in the 80s and wrote one of them till his death mm-hmm. in the mid-90s, I think. Okay. I'm a little hazy about the timeline. But he ended up with about 30... There's about 30 of Mad them, Mad yeah. novels, starting with Death of a Citizen. Mm-hmm. And they are very brutal. It's like... A fusion of spy chic with hard-boiled hard-boiled detective. Yeah, it's kind of like a marriage between the two yeah. genres. Much like James Bond is depicted in the novels, Matt Helm is a blunt object. He's a killer because, as a matter of fact, in several of the books, that's his assignment is to go and assassinate people. Yeah, Irving Allen has his hands on these books. He's going around looking for financing, and he wants to get a named star. Here is where he makes the biggest mistake of his life. (laughs) He approaches Dean Martin, who at that time was looking at James Bond movies and seeing how the James Bond movies were making money. and said, gee, excuse me for a minute, well, uh, down the scotch and I want to go. Dean Martin. I really would like a bit of that pie. Who had a very, and I think I could be wrong, and Mm -hmm. if I am, folks, I always tell you if I'm wrong, let me know. Had what I would term as a very spotty film career. Yeah. He had some dramatic roles, in which he actually was pretty good. I saw him in one movie with Frank Sinatra. Some came running. That actually was pretty damn good. He was good in that one. The problem with Dean Martin is when he had a fire under his butt, or mm-hmm. he was passionate about something, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right, he was very good. Unfortunately, very little got his passion going, other than having sex and drinking. Yeah. Real Bravo, where he co-starred with John Wayne, where he played a drunk. He was very good in that And you're right When it was something That he really cared Passionately about He wasn't like Frank Sinatra Who really wanted To prove himself As an actor Dean Martin wasn't like that It was a party to him So the first thing That Dean Martin did When he was approached About being Matt Helm Was he said Okay well, first thing, he probably... Oh, yeah, just do the thing. <laughs> you ain't got to do the voice every time. Okay. Just get on with it. Yes, <laughs> he said, I'll do it, but we're partners from now on. <laughs> so, immediately, Irving Allen found himself in a partnership with Dean Martin's Dean production Martin. company. Okay. And found very quickly that all his control over the property disappeared. Mm. And this is why I've heard more than one critic... When they're talking about these films, refer Dean to Martin it. gave it to him up the old grainy hole. Huh? Yeah. With no grease. <laughs> Many people refer to this as a big screen version of his, at that time, very popular variety show. Yeah. Dean Martin was playing his lovable, lush character surrounded mm-hmm. by beautiful girls, which in the TV show is called, of course, the Dean Martin Dancers. In these films, they're just referred to as the Slay Girls. S-L-A-Y. I, I actually remember watching some of the Dean Martin show when I was a kid. I'll I tell you what I really thought was really funny, though. What? As much as you rag on Dean Martin. You know, what? Remember when he used to do the roasts? Yeah. Back in the 70s? I was like, that shit was 
funny as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it came on like every month. It was like a uh, different person, right? Different person. They did, and he got a bunch of actors and comedians, right. and they would roast people. They roasted Muhammad Ali. Yeah. They roasted Don Rickles. Mm-hmm. They roasted Jackie Gleason. Right. And it was a once a month thing. That thing was funny as hell. And we're going to be upfront about that. These are really terrible films. Yes, they are. There is only one that I think you and I really kind of like in this. Make film. no mistake about it. We are doing this because we're, we're completists. Yes. And we said we're going to do Flint, and we're going to do Modesty Blaze, and right. we're going to do Diabolic, and we're going to do all these other ones. Then we should include the Mad Hell movies. But by no stretch of the imagination, do Tom and I recommend that you waste your time and your hard-earned money renting these things? Unless, of course, you really want to see them. You say, well, you know what? I got nothing else to do. Let me rent these Mad Hell movies and see if there is Don't bad. expect us to spend 30 minutes recounting the plot. There's just no... no because you know what? Okay, how can I put this? The Flint films were spoofs, but they took themselves seriously, seriously? enough yeah. that you could get into the story. They had stories. They had plots. There is nothing absolutely serious about the Mad Hell movies. Dean Martin breaks the fourth wall constantly. There's these lame jokes, usually involving Frank Sinatra, you know. And most importantly, well, at least in the first one we're about to talk about, the silencers, they seem to occur in this weird alternate universe where there's this big Dean Martin hanging in the sky, mm-hmm. singing at weird points, doing a Greek chorus. Like an internal monologue, like when he sees yeah. a girl, he'll say, ooh, I like her ass. Yes. I'm looking at it steadily. I'm waiting for love. Going out to Phoenix. Yeah, he's driving with in the, the big co- old. Yeah, right, of the yeah. Big ole. These are painful. We watch these so you don't have to. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the silencers. You can see the mistakes right up front. You can just imagine Irving Allen going, well, let's see. James Bond has these beautiful women in there pretending to be undressed. I'm going to have actual strippers on my title sequence. And the title sequence is basically a series of strippers doing their strip tees. Yeah. And then Sid Charisse comes out and does a song called The Song. And does the theme song, yeah. Which is no Lulu singing Man with the Golden Gun, let me tell you. The worst of the James Bond themes. Like that horrible Another Way to Die. It's still better than this. Sid Charisse... I'm sorry, I never saw the appeal of her. She was supposed to be like yeah. a big sex bomb back in the 60s. Right. I look at her and I said, well, if that's what they consider to... Now, Joey Heatherton was a sex bomb. But unfortunately, Joey Heatherton's not in this film. Yeah. I'll tell you who is in this film, though. Who? One of the few bright lights, I'm sure you and I will agree. The absolutely gorgeous and stunning Israeli actress, Dahlia Lavi. <laughs> who, by the way, I think it is the oldest person in the Hottie Hall of Fame. Because we don't have a lot up there right now, but, but she's but up still, there. still, that chick is, woo. And she only she did. She turns my crank. Can you believe she only did, like, six films? Yeah, she made half a handful of movies, as gorgeous as she was. And any time she comes into a movie, she brightens it up. Yeah. Okay? And the silence is the only reason I watch this movie mm-hmm. is for Dahlia Lobby. It seems like she's playing two different people. Because she plays a certain type of person in the first half, and then she plays the second type of person in the second half. Yeah. Both equally sexy, both equally valid. Mm-hmm. Got this, she's got those wonderful eyes, oh. that beautiful skin, and that, skin, smi- the and that smile. smile. The oh. smile is what gets me every time. You know, it's such a shame that she's wasted in a worthless piece of yeah. crap like this, but hey. Listen, I take what I can get. Believe it or not, this movie actually bears lip service to two of Hamilton's novels. Mm-hmm. Namely, the first novel, Death, Death of, of a, a Citizen. Citizen. The character that Dolly Yolavi plays, Tina, actually, in Death of a Citizen, approaches Helm to try to get him to come back. Right. Same thing happens here. And The Silencers itself, which was about an attempt to blow up a place with a nuclear missile. Mm-hmm. The Big O, which is an evil organization... Not the Japanese robot. You get the impression that the O is supposed to stand for Oriental, though we learn in a later film what Big O is supposed to mean. Headed by Tung Si, the diet, egg-foo-young, guzzling mastermind played with, uh, how should we say it, a healthy all-wood diet from chewing up the scenery by Victor Buono. Victor Buono. Most of you will recall played King Tut in mm-hmm. Batman TV series, which is a lot better than this movie. Yes. <laughs> Our planning to turn the Midwest into a radioactive dead zone. Right. By somehow altering the course of a missile test Mm -hmm. so that it crashes into a nuclear power plant. Right. Okay. Understood. (laughs) 
<laughs> they Matt why Powell they want to do it, I have no idea. <laughs> is brought out of retirement mm-hmm. by Tina. He's now a calendar photographer. He's a professional photographer. Professional yeah. glamour photographer. He and his former partner Tina go to Phoenix first and meet the actual female lead. Oh God. Gail Hendricks, played by Stella Stevens, who I never understood the appeal. Another of. actress, yeah, I never understood the and this appeal. And this is, I think, another big difference between American spy movies and British spy movies of the era. The British spy girls were kind of cool and sexy and elegant. Most of the women we're going to talk about here are brassy. Yeah. And blowsy. Blowsy. And blousy. And all other sorts of things ending in Z. And she's this accident prone goofball. Yeah, she's doing pratfalls all through yeah. the movie, and she's bumping into things, and she's knocking over, and she's flailing about wildly, and it's just a simply terrible performance. Mind you, Stella Stevens was never the best. Probably the only role I've ever watched her in that I really liked her in was Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, and th- it's indicative, like, there's a scene in this film where Helm and Gale are on the run. James Bond has an Aston Martin. What does Matt Helm have? A Nash Rambler. A station wagon. Yeah, a Nash Rambler station wagon that happens to, among other things, transform into a camping tent. Now, that ain't cool. It's dumb, is what it is. But there's this whole protracted sequence. Which Flint is had a vintage That's car. Right. That's right. And he had a Learjet. But the whole point of this scene is just to see Stella Stevens fall in Matt the mud. Helm has a station <laughs> wagon, Ed. A station wagon, Ed. <laughs> It's just to see Stella Stevens fall repeatedly <laughs> in the mud while Dean Martin laughs at her. People talk about Bond being misogynistic. They've never met Matt Helm. Yeah, but you know something? You do get to see when she gets all wet. She, do, yeah. she does have nice boobs. Well, there's also <laughs> that scene where he strips her down, remember? Yeah, when she finally gets inside, he strips well, no, her. No, 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 it? even before that, in the hotel, because Sid Charisse plays this great singer who has evidence on what the Big O is planning on doing. Matt becomes convinced that... He, she passed it on to Stella Stevens. Mm-hmm. So he strips her down, and she's got, like, okay. negligee on. To make the long and beautiful story short and ugly, it ends in a very protracted sequence in the Big O secret headquarters under New Mexico, and it involves the world's most unconvincing laser beam and the world's stupidest gun, the gun that, the gun that shoots, shoots backwards. backwards. If you want to fire forward, you have to push the trigger yeah. forward. We get repeated scene after scene after scene where Stella Stevens is running through the hideout trying to find Matt Helm, and she runs into guards. She runs back to the guard, gives him the gun, right? because she can't figure out how to make a whole sequence of spending ways to use this gun. Because she can't figure out how to make the gun fire forward, so she runs back and gives it to the guy that finds her, and he looks at it, and instead of shooting her with his own gun, he pulls the bam, and he shoots it off. James Bond had Q and all these great gadgets. We get a backwards-firing gun. James Bond had M, who was really distinctive, and we get... Um, James Gregory. James Gregory playing Mac, As or playing McDonald. Mac and McDonald, yeah. Who pretty much is an ineffectual boss. Isn't this the one also where Manhelm has the jacket that has the exploding buttons? Oh, yeah, the exploding buttons, yeah. The exploding buttons, which probably leads to the only scene in the movie that amuses me. Because what happens, folks, is that he has a suit jacket, and he pulls the button off, and he counts to five and throw it, and the button blows up. But it makes a distinctive sound when he put, like, a slide whistle. So there's one part where he hears the sound, and he's looking to see, oh, my God, when the buttons fell off. And he's starting to take the jacket off, and then a kid goes by his bike with a slide whistle. That was kind of amusing. Mm -hmm. I kind of got it. You got the impression that Matt didn't even bother putting any strictures on Matt. It was just, oh, you crazy guy, you. Yeah, you. Oh, you kid. Like, he puts his instructions. Matt Helm is driving down the road, and he's in his station wagon, and... He's looking around, and he looks, and he finds this bottle of scotch that's right. in the glove compartment. He oh, that's in the up. next film. And we should also mention, before we move on, Bond had money, Penny. Who do we get here? Mm-hmm. Lovey frickin' Craven. Uh, now, Beverly Adams is a cute girl. I hated this so much, because you say it the first time. Helm asks her, you know, mm-hmm. what's your name? She says, well, Lovey craves it. And he says, Lovey craves it? She says, yeah. Okay, we got the joke. You don't have to keep saying yeah. it over and over and over and over again. But it's we got the joke. How slow this film is. That whole sequence with him waking up in his home with the automated bed that drops him into the pool. He must make a hell of a lot of money as a photographer. 12 minutes out of my life. He must make a hell of a lot of money taking them calendar photos. Yeah, That's all I got to it's say. It's a dreadful film. It is 
truly, amazingly dreadful. This is the one where Matt thinks that he's dead when they blow up his pool because he's got... No, no, that's the second one. He so does, we might as well move into the next he one. He doesn't just have a bath. He has a yeah. pool in his house. Murderer's Row. Now, I don't think we've ever talked about this and woman I've, before. And I felt like I was murdered. Yeah. Mercifully, instead of getting a really bad century song, we just get an instrumental. Yeah. Now, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this woman before, Anne Margaret. I don't believe we have. You and I have talked privately, and I've talked about how Anne Margaret in the 60s, to me, was sex unreal. She was amazing. She was known as the female Elvis. Yeah. Maybe not the greatest actress in the world, but with so much energy. Energy, yes. And you couldn't take your eyes yeah. off her. She was so beautiful. Now, to me, I'm not a big fan of Elvis Presley movies, but I love Viva Las Vegas. Yes. That movie is terrific. It's nothing but entertainment from start to finish. And a lot of it is due to Anne Margaret. Yeah. I think she's gorgeous. I mean, then I have a thing for redheads that you do not have. Uh, but her, yeah, yeah. That, she's a redhead I can go for. Okay. I even loved her in the Flintstone. To my amazement, Anne Margaret. <laughs> this is the film that manages to make me disinterested in Anne Margaret. Yeah, yeah. As we'll any, learn, any movie that can make Anne Margaret look bad is a sad movie. The plot is the Big O is back. It has a plan to create a giant heat ray utilizing the work of one Dr. Solaris. Solaris. And then use it to blackmail the United States. Right. They're presently in Monte Carlo and being headed by Julian Wall, played, played by... by Carl Malden of all people. And let's give him some credit. He is definitely, shall we say, vigorous. Carl Malden tries, because Carl yeah. Malden is a professional actor, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of respect for the guy. Right. You can see he tries his best, but they've saddled him, and I don't know whose idea was it, with that ridiculous accent, because yeah. I don't even know what type of accent that's supposed to be. Yeah. It's just, oh, God. So Wall and his wife slash partner slash whatever, Coco Duquette, played by Camilla Smart, who was actually, much like Dahlia Lavi was much more interesting than Stella Stevens in the first one, I found her much more interesting. She wasn't the most beautiful woman in the world, but she definitely had a quality to her. What would have been more interesting in this movie mm-hmm. is if she had been the brains right. behind this, and Carl Molden yeah. had been her henchman. And, of course, their henchman, the ridiculously named Ironhead... Who actually has an iron yes. head. He's got a visible steel mm-hmm. plate in the top of his yeah. bald head. Head out to eliminate the major ICE operatives before they can get onto the plan. Because we get a montage yes. of Iron Head killing yes. off the various agents. He's giving photographs. Yeah. Although they don't know what Matt Helm looks like because the only known photograph of him was taken from the back where yeah. he's got a martini glass yes. in his yes. head. And there's an arrow pointing to it saying, Major Identifying Trait. <laughs> They fake oh, help me. Matt's death and send him off to Monte Carlo to foil Julian Wall's plot, which involves him getting cozy with Dr. Solaris's daughter, Susie, played by Anne Margaret. I'll give it this much. She does give it a try, but once again, this character is so stupid yeah. and so obnoxious, and they seem intent on putting her in sillier and sillier outfits. There's that one outfit, you and I have talked about this, where she looks like she's dressed as a freaking baby chick. Folks, it's supposed to be daisies. And she's even got a matching hat. But you're right, from a distance, she looks like a chicken. Yes, and she's doing this really vigorous go-go dance. She's doing the frog or the shake oh. or the mashed potato, I don't know. And she's so big, her, her hat flies off yeah. at one point, And her red hair is going all over and the place. And this brain. is one of the worst examples of the films where... Because as we said, the biggest problem with Dean Martin was he was a lazy actor. Oh, yeah. He didn't want to do his own stunts. He didn't want to do any fight scenes. And we see some of him do some fight scenes in The Silencers. But in this one, every time he goes to do a fight, the camera switches to a long shot so that his stunt double can rush in and do the fighting for him. The major gimmick here is it's another gun. He's got a gun. That shoots after a 10 second delay. After a 10 second delay. What sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If, if you're a spy and you need the gun and you got somebody that's trying to kill you, right. what point does it make for the gun to, to fire 10 seconds after you pull the trigger? And of course, this leads us to things where he pulls the trigger, puts the gun down someplace, and walks away from it and maneuvers somebody. Yeah. And then, oh, man, please give me a break. But then again, Mr. Wall has these freeze gun. It's. It's. Uh, I don't really want to talk about these films it's very a, much. It's a dreadfully bad film. Dean Martin is more interested yeah. in making these stupid jokes that I understand. And also, by the way, he has the laziest 
uniform of any spot. Because he spends almost all of these films wandering around in a white turtleneck and tan slacks. Yeah. Give Malton credit, he does try. Mm-hmm. I think Spav is actually another one of these legions of 60s actresses who appeared in a bunch of stuff in a very short period of time that was never seen again. I, th- I actually thought that she was actually quite sexy. More sexy than Anne Margaret, which floors me, because Anne Margaret speaks to me. Oh, yeah. So to speak. I dig redheads. Even I she, dig, I dig long hair. Even when she says nothing, she speaks yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. Perhaps the only time that she's really, truly the Anne Margaret I know and love is towards the end when she's got that little sailor outfit on with the striped blouse and the jeans. That, to me, is Anne Margaret. But that doesn't last very long. It's... A horrifically bad movie, and it looks like it was made on a budget of about 15 cents in the matter of about a couple of weeks. This film was released late in 1966, not long after The Silences was released. This is more demoralizing than I thought. Shall yes, we just it head is. on? It's hideous. To what I think you and I both agree is maybe the best film of the series. What's that? The Ambushers. Oh, one other thing I should mention. There is a rock group that appears... Oh, see, there we go. That's what I'm thinking is of. Is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm thinking is of. Is that what you're talking about? When yes. You my Anne Margaret? And I yeah. think that's the Anne Margaret I remember, damn it. Now, that's Anne Margaret. Yes, that is definitely... I wish you guys could see what we're looking yes. at. <laughs> when she was given a good role, like, yeah. have you ever seen Carnal Knowledge? Mm-hmm. She can act. She can. But it's obvious that these films... But she wasn't hired for acting in she this She wasn't movie. hired for acting. She was hired for the fact that she was a redhead with big boobs. Who can dance. That was all that she was hired for. But we want to mention that there is a rock trio that appears in this film and does a couple of numbers mm-hmm. at the discotheque that Susie hangs out in. Which is a totally embarrassing oh, scene yeah. because, as I said earlier, Dean Martin looks like somebody's dad that yeah. just wandered in. And it ends, of course, with a Frank Sinatra joke yeah. at the end of the first. Understand me, why would a... 60s go-go club with these kids that are dancing yeah. to rock music. Why would they have a picture of Frank Sinatra on the wall? And of course, there's a scene where Susie has a bomb on her, but she doesn't know. And, and he Matt throws it at the... throws it at the wall with Frank Sinatra's mm-hmm. photo on it, and it blows up. But he does all kinds of different knocks at Frank Sinatra yeah. all during these movies. But anyway, the Which trio... Which are not funny. No, they're not. Neither is his station wagon, Ed. Ed. <laughs> but anyway, this trio, which is called Dino, Desi, and Billy, two of the members are Desi Arnaz Jr. and Dean Paul Martin. Oh, okay. So, just a little bit of trivia there. But yeah, this is, I think, the nadir of the series. Then we, we get one the following year, and this is The Ambushers. We're back to a dreadful theme song. Oh, yeah. Done by Boyce and Hart, and as good as they are, because remember, Boyce and Hart wrote many hits for people like the Monkees. Mm-hmm. But as good as Tommy Boyce and Alan Hart are as songwriters, they're not good performers. Mm. That's for damn sure. They weren't even good. They did the theme song here. They wrote yeah. it. They did it just for a paycheck. Yeah. Because it's a horrible song. Now, once again, much like The Silences, there is a little bit of a realm of possibility that somebody actually read the book, because Mm. the book is about a group of revolutionaries finding an unexploded missile in the jungles in South America. Mm -hmm. In this film, it's a little something more exotic. It opens up at the ICE training camp. We should mention that Matt Helm in these films, for no really apparent reason, works for the International Counterintelligence Espionage Agency, or ICE for short. They're at the ICE training grounds. and Which seems to be made up exclusively of women. Yeah. I don't recall seeing a single man being trained here, which says to me that apparently Matt Helm must be the only male agent that they have. Which also kind of explains why him and Matt throw each other kisses at the end of yeah. every assignment. <laughs> Maybe they didn't want any other male right. agents to be around to get in the way of So anyway, or whatever it was they had. Matt is doing training. Oh, God. Of these agents, when he runs into an old friend, namely Sheila Summers, uh, played, played by, by Janice Rule. Janice Rule, who Jan- to me is the only reason to watch this yes. movie. Janice Rule. Janice is shell shocked because of an experience she had, and we find out from Mac the experience she had was they found a way to create an anti gravity drive. And basically create a literal flying saucer. The problem is there's something about the magnetic field, the electromagnetic field that yeah. interacts badly with testosterone and kills men, but it leaves women alone. So only women can fly this ship. Janice Rule character was. The, the pilot, pilot yes. and she can't remember what happened to the ship or what right. happened to her. And the only won. thing she remembers, as a matter of fact, is her last assignment with Matt Helm, right. who she was having an affair or romance right. with at that time. So they decide 
to send Matt right. to Mexico mm-hmm. with Sheila in the hopes of recovering her memory and the flying saucer. Flying saucer. The only clue they have is a gentleman by the name of Ortega who runs a brewery, mm-hmm. which means, of course, we get lots of jokes. Which, of course, Matt Helm wants yes. to infiltrate right away. You know, and leads to probably the lowest point in a film series that is full of low points, mm-hmm. namely the fight scene in the brewery where Matt stops to drink. Yeah. From yeah. the leaking barrels. Yeah, of the beer. leaking spigot. Yeah. They find out that Ortega is in cahoots with a gentleman by the name of Quintana. Quintana, yeah. Who is this fancy war criminal guy who found the flying saucer and is in the process of auctioning it off to the highest bidder. Now, I should say, at this critical juncture, that much as I dislike this movie, there's the germ of a good picture in there because the whole concept of this flying saucer and only women, that's a pretty damn good idea. I like that. It gives a logical reason why Manham takes a woman along with him on this assignment. Good thinking here. Okay, only women can fly the damn thing. We finally learn what Big O stands for in this film because one of the other bidders is a woman who is a Big O operative. And we find out that it stands for the Brotherhood of International Government and Order, which doesn't sound like much of a scary organization. Who's the girl that does... Remember there's a scene that they're outside and they're dancing? That's Francesca, played by Senta Berger. Senta Berger, okay. That's what you're thinking. The one who turns out to be the big O agent. Right. The gimmicks here is there is a laughing gas spewing cigarette. There is a gun that levitates objects. Yeah. Although, of course, you can see the wires everywhere. Which Matt Helm uses at the end of the movie to... Take what's his name, Sandra, the general yeah. character, to, to levitate her off of the flying saucer before it goes over the cliff and put her on the back of his motorcycle where he makes the incredibly funny joke let yeah. Matt Helm put you in the driver's seat. Yeah. Which, if you were not a kid during the 60s or 70s, you won't understand that yeah. joke. And if you've never heard of Hertz, you won't understand that mm-hmm. joke. If you've never seen a Hertz commercial from the 60s or 70s, you won't get right. that joke. It ends with a rather nonsensical chase with the flying saucer on a train, which is supposed to transport it to the big O operative, Mm -hmm. which Helm is chasing on a motorcycle. The thing that's really aggravating about this film, it's drummed into our head very early on, this is about a flying saucer. Mm -hmm. A flying saucer is wrecked at the end. Yeah. Nobody gets it. Nobody gets it, yeah. Oh, God, we have more Lovey Craves it. We have just more of Mac just being an ineffectual boss. Probably, though, the, oddly enough, and a lot of it is because of Janice Rule. Not a beautiful woman by any means, but, but a trained comedian. But, I think. But something... She's got a great body. There's something incredibly appealing yeah. and sexy about her. She's not a raving beauty like Anne Margaret yeah. or Dahlia Lavi, but there's just something about her that I really find extremely sexy. I think sexy. it's a couple of things. One is... She's a trained comedian, so she knows she's in a comedy movie. And she's got a personality. Yeah. Two, she's the only one of the four, quote-unquote, Helm girls Mm -hmm. who actually shows consistently a competent streak. Yeah. In many cases, she's one step ahead of Matt. Legs up to here. Yeah. Terrific body. Wonderful. Yeah. She comes off a lot better than Anne Margaret did in her movie. I think she manages to rein in Dean Martin. There's a lot of embarrassing things. For example, the... Endless sequence at the party that Ortega is throwing to celebrate the fifth anniversary or something of his mm. brewery, which features endless showcasing of the sleigh girls walking around in Ole Cassini wear. Yeah. Which at one point, there's the embarrassing exchange where Dean Martin and Janice Krul are talking to Ortega, and Janice says, oh, the fashions are wonderful, to mm. which Dean Martin goes, Ole, and he goes, no. Ole. Ole, yeah. That whole sequence is just a massive advertisement. I mean, why not just hold up a sign? Yeah. Fashions by Ole Cassini. It'd be more honest. Yeah. Quintana is actually fairly interesting. He doesn't get a lot to do, though. This one's probably got the most interesting villains as well. Actually, you know, I, I would say the character that we're about to meet in the final film is the most interesting of the villains. But okay. Quintana is, is an interesting villain. Yeah. A very good visual, but they do nothing with him. No. It's the best of the series. If you're going to watch one... If you're going to watch any year, watch this one. Watch this one. Watch Be prepared, this one. it's still pretty damn good. It's dreadful. still a stinker. That whole opening sequence in the ice training mm-hmm. camp is like totally worthless. There's nothing, it's just a whole bunch of these corny one-liners and I don't know if Dean Martin came up with these quips on his own or if these were done by the writers. Yeah. 
but either way, they're pretty bad. And I think Irving Allen realized things were pretty bad, too. Because the next film takes two years to make, and there are changes very evident from the moment the film starts. Which is, of course, The Wrecking Crew. Directed has all these films were by Phil Carlson. Allen went out and got some help. He got a new fight arranger, a young gentleman by the name of Bruce Lee. Ah. He recast Mac. So instead of James Gregory being all pally-pally with Matt, we get John Larch being much more of a hard-ass Okay. about things. It looks better. It's a better-looking film than mm-hmm. any of the three previous ones. Mm-hmm. Part of it was just, I think, Bruce Lee. Because as we, you and I have talked about, Bruce Lee was one of these guys who liked to energize people, who liked yeah. to see the best in people and try to bring it out of them. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked with Dean Martin because Dean Martin in this film is a kicking fool. Okay. <laughs> Dean Martin discovers martial arts in this film. There's still these fight sequences where, okay, switch to the long shot. Right. But there are a number of shots where he's just, you know, doing all this karate stuff. And you can stuff. see it. Yeah, okay. The plot of this film involves... Such as it is. Such as Count Contini, played by Nigel Green. Very mm-hmm. well. Yeah, Nigel Green, yeah. Very good actor. Count Contini manages to steal a large amount of gold en route to the International Gold Reserve. His idea is he's going to hold on to this gold. There's so much gold being transported that it's going to collapse many of the country's economies. Mm-hmm. And he's going to walk in and be the big man. Okay. Okay, very simple to understand. We get a lot more with Contini than we do with any of the other villains in the series. Mm -hmm. He's very fussy. But I like the fact that he also isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. Okay. There are at least two sequences where he goes toe-to-toe with Helm. Oh, okay. Which we never got in any of the other movies. We never got in Helm going hand-to-hand with any of the other bad guys. So, Contini and his... Paramore, Linka Karensky, played by Elke Summers, are plotting from the Contini's villa in Norway, Sweden, some cold place. Matt is sent to retrieve the gold. He is teamed with Freya Carlson, played by the tragically killed very shortly after this film was released, an absolutely gorgeous woman, Sharon Tate. Absolutely amazingly gorgeous. Who is much better looking than Elke Sama, who again is another one of these 60 sex symbols yeah. that I couldn't see the appeal of. They oh, are you. confounded by the Count's assistant, Yu Rang, played by yeah, Yu Nancy Rang. Kwan. Yu Rang. <laughs> it's just basically more punchy, punchy, run, run. Yu Rang. There were times when I was even more angry at this film than mm. some of the other films in this series. By the way, also, dreadful, dreadful theme song. This had instrumental theme song. No, no, this, wasn't, this is the one. Uh, where the theme song is called The House of Seven Joys. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the hey, yeah. hey, 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 yes. Ah, so very, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, folks, it's scary with your memory. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that in years. Oh, man. I like Nigel Green as the villain. I actually thought Elkie Summers wasn't too bad either. Once okay. again, the secondary character is more interesting than the, then, the primary then, then character. the primary character, right. Nancy Kwan is a lot of fun. You definitely see the difference in the fight scenes. But after getting a character who is Helm's equal in The Ambushers, the only reason Sharon Tate is there is for Dean Martin to laugh and mock her. Yeah. Freya is another one of these characters who's very accident-prone. I think you hit it right on the head earlier, what you said. These films are very misogynistic. Yeah. Women do not come off well in these movies. At least not the way they're treated by Matt Helm. He is actively contemptuous of her. Exactly. He's got open contempt for every woman that he interacts with. I'm not exaggerating when I say about 90% of his interaction with Sharon Tate is him, well, as loud as Dean Martin can get, yelling at her. Yeah. And mm-hmm. telling her to get away. They actually have the nerve to redo the scene with Stella Stevens from the first film with Sharon Tate. Yeah. And it, yeah. Made, it angered me doubly knowing what was about to happen to yeah. this woman. This is a woman, I think, who had potential to be a really great sex symbol in yeah. this world. It's like whenever I look at the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu, knowing that this is the last thing that people yeah. saw oh, of, Peter, this, of this person. Oh, Peter Sellers, it, yeah. It's more aggravating with this because this woman was just getting started. She wasn't a great actress. But she was on her way. But she had a presence. But you could see, yeah, yeah. this and what the Fearless Vampire yeah. Hunters and... Oh, Beyond uh, the Valley of the Beyond Dogs. the Valley of the Dogs, oh, yeah. And she definitely had a presence and in a way, it's just it's aggravating that this is the last thing she left on this earth yeah. for 
that horrible tragedy that not only ruined her life, but her husband's life. Yeah. I'm sure you'll agree with me. He has never been the same. No, no, Mentally. No, no. Yeah. Well, of course horrible. not. Of course no. not, you know. Let's face it. Who would under something like that? Yeah. And before anybody jumps on us, it's not to excuse what he did. We're not excusing that. But you don't have something like that happen to somebody I'll that say you it. love. I'll say it. If Sharon Tate was not in that house that night when the Manson family came in mm-hmm. and slaughtered everyone to the person, I don't think the horrible things that Roman Polanski had gotten involved with, he would have gotten involved with. No, I don't think so. He would not be in exile from America. I, and I'm going to agree with you 100% on that. Yeah, I don't think so either. It was just so, so obvious. He didn't just love this woman. He idolized her. And I think they were good for each other. Yeah, they were. Her murder just completely shattered. If you folks have ever seen the films of him shortly after that happened, the interviews he had to get, you could see it on his face. The man was absolutely Mm -hmm. devastated. So yeah, you're right. It's a shame that this is the the last thing that she did. And this is the last artifact. If you want to watch a Sharon Tate movie, watch Valley of the Dolls, where her talent really had a chance to shine. Yeah. Not this. And I guess it's aggravating also because you see the, the signs of improvement, but Dee Martin still wants to be, uh, here I am with my drink. And, you know and the is? girl is stupid over there. It was some asshole that told her, well, it's Dee Martin. It'll be good for your yeah. career. You gotta do this. You should do this. She probably said, well, you know what? Because, yes, believe it or not, back then, Dee Martin was a big yeah. star. He was like Tom Cruise yeah. back then. I really have got to wonder what possibly could have been, what roles she possibly could have had mm-hmm. if she had lived. Well, for one thing, I think we probably would have seen her in Chinatown. Mm. She would have been playing Faye Dunaway's part. Interesting, yeah. But it's, it's just an absolute shame that, that this piece of crap where she's used has a joke. She's not joking, she's used has the joke. She is the whole crux of this joke. Well, everything in every one of these movies has something in common in that nothing matters except Dean Martin, yeah. and everything is only to make him look good, mm-hmm. to prop him up, right, and make him look funny, make him look heroic. He doesn't even have the grace to let somebody else shine in a scene yeah. and let them have a moment. It's all about him and him being what he thinks is funny and yeah. what he thinks is being cool. That's what it's all about. As much as there are so many improved elements, the film is so sloppily plotted that it doesn't even resolve correctly. After Helm has defeated Contini and supposedly saved the world from financial ruin, they have to throw in one more gag at the expense of Sharon Tate, which leads to them being tossed forward into the camera and supposedly through the, the train. Mm-hmm. But it says, don't worry, everything came out okay. Yeah, at yeah. At the end. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, led to... Now, interestingly enough, there was an intention to follow up on this. Because the film does say, next time, Matt Helm in The Ravengers. Well, all of them ended with yeah. the little thing at the end, Matt Helm will be back in. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, they copied from the James Bond movie, where they had the thing that right. James Bond will return in whatever. Not only was The Ravengers announced, mm-hmm. Alan was working on, get this idea, a sixth film that was going to be a crossover, where Matt Helm would cross swords with Tony Rome. Oh, Frank, okay. Frank Sinatra's character, who he did in two movies, Tony, Tony Rome, Rome and, and Lady in Cement. Cement. Lady in Cement is worth seeing for one thing. The inspiration for Jack Kirby's Big Barter, Lady ah, Kazan. Lady. Now let me ask you she this, plays a would, stripper would you here. count the Tony Rome films as being part of this series? Do we want to delve in there? Because I get the impression that those are better than these guys were. Yeah, they are. That's what this is. The reason, the reason I'm thinking we might want to do these is because even though Tony Romo was a private eye, the fact that he was on an international scale almost counts him as a de facto buy. Well, not in the movies, because in the two yeah. movies he's strictly based in Miami. All right. They both take place in Miami. He's a Miami okay. private eye. Now that you mention it, the Tony Romo movies, I like them better than the Matt Helm, and okay. they are. They're nowhere near as jokey. They're light, but they're light in a serious way, if that okay. makes sense. Now, once again, keep in mind, you got to listen to who's telling the tale here. The general consensus is that Dean Martin grew bored and said, I don't want to do it anymore. Well, he was bored from the first one. Yeah, I don't want to do them anymore, and apparently there was a diminishing returns, and the Wrecking Crew did particularly poorly. Another story has that it was just the poor box office, and it was Alan who pulled the plug. Okay. 
Okay. A third story, <laughs> which is the story I, th- I think is the least reliable, is that D. Martin was so broken up over Sharon Tate's murder that he retired the character, which I think is bullshit. Me because too. if there was still money in then Thar Hills, and he was still kind of vaguely interested, there would have been a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, an eighth, as many as he could squeeze out. The, the second story about Alan pulling the plug because of the diminishing box office, that sounds like the one. See, I think the first one is the most reliable of the three. Yeah, it, Martin it, got bored yeah. and, yeah, okay. And just said, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, they're both equally valid, yeah. Yeah, you can imagine that if D. Martin says, I don't want to do this anymore, he pulls Francie Productions' financing of the project. Mm-hmm. Irving Allen has no one else to finance the project, so he walks away. Although, apparently, he wasn't done with Matt Helm because, of course, he was instrumental in bringing him to the television screen several years later. Tony Franciosa mm-hmm. played Matt Helm, who in this one is a private eye. Although he's a private eye, and the intimation is that he was a spy at one time. Right. And there's not really much we can say about the, the series because it really has little yeah. bearing. It lasts, what, about like a season? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. I have very vague memories of watching an episode or two as a child. But yeah, you and me both. All I, I can I, say I, is I, I'm willing to bet the episodes were slightly better than these abominations. Now, let me ask you something. Every yeah. once in a while, isn't there noises that they're doing a new Matt Helm Yes, there series? is. Right now, there is intentions on doing a Matt Helm reboot. I don't have much information. I know that your guy, Sam Worthington, is one of the people that have been named as a possible Matt Helm. No, I want to see him do Doc Savage. I've heard that. I've heard Ben Foster as well. Stay away from these movies. Yeah. Stay away from these recommendations. Stay away away from these movies. movies. Now, I will say this. If you are interested in seeing it, if you do, if I don't know whatever your Mm -hmm. cable... Are you a masochist or... Your cable or satellite provider is... But if you get Turner Classic Movies, mm-hmm. wait for them to show up there, because that's where I saw them. Yeah. Tom Netflix stuff. No, I did even worse, because I found them a deep discount DVD for the whole set for 10 bucks. Poor man. Sell them back to them. No, I watch these on Turner Classic Movies. They'll run them all four, back oh, to back. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. For those people who really can't get enough pain. They're horrible, horrible films. And the, the sad thing is... This isn't the worst film I'm going to be talking about in this series. That's coming up next time we come back to The Rivals of Bond, where I have to try and make sense of the freaking train wreck that was. Honesty Blaze? Oh, God, yes. Oh, man. This is the 60s one with Monica Vitti and yeah. Terrence Stamp. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Oh, Do we, we have to talk about that abortion? We want to talk about Modesty Blaze, yes? Okay. There are three Modesty Blaze oh, items out there. okay. I have seen two of them. Neither of them are very good, although the last one is definitely miles better than Matt Helm. But that's the next stop. And then I guess we're going to be doing some potpourri stuff after that, because we're going to, we want to talk about the Yabali. Yeah, Diabali. There are some characters we want to talk about that we're waiting for the Turner Movie Classics mm-hmm. to run them. We, I definitely want to talk about the Harry Palmer films, but we got to get those films Yeah, Harry watched. Palmer, yeah. You can't find them, though. They're not yeah. available. You can find them in Great Britain, in Europe. Well, that does Britain. us yeah. a lot of good, Thomas. Because <laughs> our good friend Jason Cleaver did some research and found them on Amazon UK. Okay. But they're region one, as opposed to yeah. our... We're region two. Right, exactly. So yes, stay away. Stay far away. Yeah, these movies are in no way, shape, or form are worth your time. The only reason I still possess them is has a curiosity artifact of spy culture. I ain't that curious. <laughs> but I remember watching these movies ever since I was a kid. Remember they used to come on CBS. the ABC Sunday Night Movies? Actually, CBS used to run them constantly. Mm-hmm. Because I think they owned the rights to all the Matt Helm films. And they used to run them constantly. Like the fr- They did a Friday night movie package. Yeah, remember? yeah. That's where I first saw them as a kid. Oh, okay. I remember seeing them on ABC and Sunday course, night movie. And as a kid, I kind of remember liking them. Because, of course, I was freaking seven at the time. Yeah, well, naturally. If you're a kid and you're like ten years old, yeah. you watch it, you think this stuff is cool. Well, I'm not going to deny Yeah, when I watched them as a kid, I thought it was cool. Then I grew up and I evolved. There, there's a word I want to describe. Is that they're ugly. Yeah. They're truly ugly films. They're mean-spirited towards the female leads. They're just lazily done, and it's just nasty. It's all the way around. It's poor filmmaking at its... 
at no point is it obvious that anybody has any love for the property or the genre. Yeah, this is a job. Yeah, this is Dean Martin wanting an extra couple of million to buy, I don't know, thousand-year-old scotch or something. As we've said, the only possible reasons that there is to watch these movies is for the supporting characters played by Dahlia Lobby, Janice Rule, Camilla Spav, and Camilla Spav. Yeah, Nancy Kwan was Nancy, too. Yeah, even Elkie Summers. And I agree with you. I don't know what the hell people were thinking when they said she was a sex bomb, but she also gives a fairly interesting performance, and she's the only person who seems to be taking herself relatively seriously in the, the wrecking. Well, I think it was that Swedish thing. Yeah. remember back during the sixties, at around that time, mm-hmm. it was a big Swedish thing. Yeah, but she's got this really blocky face. Have you ever yeah. And she moves her mouth. It's like it's hurting yeah. her to talk. Right. Admittedly, one thing, and just for purely period, there is a fairly funny slash entertaining chick fight between Yu Rang and Freya. Yeah. Towards the end, where mm-hmm. they're like trotting each other across a room. Yu Rang. Yu Rang. Oh man. Oh man. But it's done. Well, don't forget you're talking to the guy who had an Asian character named Chu Mi in yes. one of his books. So Yu Rang. And, yeah. <laughs> I will probably one of these days, considering my predilection for Asian women, will probably have a obnoxiously named Asian character in one of my stories. Yeah. Don't be surprised if one to show up in Avengers West Coast somewhere down the line. Because Lord knows that's the one place it would probably make sense. Yeah, so avoid. Yeah, that's all we can say about that, folks. If, if you do decide to watch it, don't come back crying to us, talking about, oh man, that was terrible. We told you so. So now. So now it's time. For the administrative. Okay. So whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to send uh, chicken outfits that are supposed to be hot couture, or guns that shoot backwards, or any of the other bull crap that we had to look at it throughout these four films, for your benefit, may I remind you, there are no- Ed. <laughs> there are a number of ways you can reach us. Uh, come on now, Ed is one of our loyalist listeners. He's a great guy. I appreciate that. I love him to death. But Matt Helm drives a station wagon, and Flint had a vintage car. And a Learjet. Flint dressed in a different outfit in every single shot. Dean Martin seemed to throw on the turtleneck he had hanging out of his laundry basket the previous week. You can send us an email at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join one or both of our message boards. You can go to Eric Frome's message board that he graciously provided provided for us. And there's one thing we love, it's our fans, because they keep surprising us with all these wonderful things. Oh, yeah. And you go to Eric's board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Or, of course, you can join the earth2.net message board. Just go to earth2.net, click on forums, and sign up. It only takes a few minutes, and you can comment on our show and DJ Comics Cavalcade and Bigger on the Inside and all the great Earth2.net programs. You may go to (laughs) become our friend on Facebook because both Derek and I have a Facebook presence. Plus, you can join the Better in the Dark fan group maintained by, of course, our official BITD music maestro because Lord knows we can't sing, Mr. Kalen Conley. And also, if you go to his Facebook page, Mm -hmm. you will find that he has provided information where you can go to his website and download, download free mixtapes. Free mixtapes, yeah. The Thunderstorm mixtape, yeah. which I've been listening to. It's excellent. You can follow us on LiveJournal where we chronicle not only our Better in the Dark adventures, but our non-Better in the Dark adventures. And that Tom's is Space Monkey Mafia. And Derek's is Derek Ferguson's Notebook. Be sure to, when you register for the betterinthedark.proboards.com message board, to consider joining and participating in the Summer O' Cowboys Fun Contest, which is brought to you by Better in the Dark and PulpWorksPress.com, where you can win a prize package, including the first volume of Grimjack, that wonderful classic John Ostrich, Tim Truman, weird, wacky, swashbuckling series, a very rare copy of Frontier Publishing Presents Number 1, which features the only recorded comic book adventure of Derek's dashing guy who could kick Matt Helm's ass from here to oh, Kentucky. With both feet tied behind his back. And an arm. And an arm. And one eye covered by an eye patch. And one eye covered by an eye patch. <laughs> with his tongue, he could kick his ass. Also, the uh, first... How the West Was Weird. How the West Was Weird. Which that weird Western anthology that contains a story 
by my good friend Tom, and there's a story by myself and other talented people like Mike McGee, Bill Katepi, Joel Jenkins. Joel Jenkins. It's a wonderful Weird Western anthology, and if you're into that genre, which is picking up, it's a genre that's cropping and up. And I have promised Russ there's going to be another El Cuevo story. Cool. I have to get around to doing it. I've already told them what it's going to be about. So. Cool. As a matter of fact, I have to get busy too because yeah. uh, i got to get another Sebastian Red story out. And also as part of the prize package, also you will get an autographed copy of my first book, Dylan and the Voice of Odin. Mm-hmm. So Which that, features Chew Me. Yeah, Chew Me is in there. So that's a prize package, as I keep saying. I wish that I wasn't part of this so I could enter this contest and try to win that So All you have to do is join our message boards and submit either a thousand-word essay on your favorite cowboy movie or TV show or a thousand-word weird western if you're feeling creative. Deadline is August 27th, and we will read the entries and announce them on a future episode of Better in the Dark during the fall. And if you've missed some of our yammerings about where to contact us, <laughs> and you want to learn some of the legends and lore of Better in the Dark... And the lingo. And the lingo, you can go to the wonderful site run by our good friend Kelly, the Better in the Dark Central site which can be accessed at www.bitdsite.com. You can find out our favorite podcasts. You can get links to our ongoing Altered Visions Avengers fan fiction fun. You can learn the glossary of Better in the Dark. And most importantly, you can check out what a freaking smoking hot babe Dahlia Lavi was. Oh yeah, because we got a picture of her on there. By going to the Better in the Dark Hottie Hall and of Fame. And there's pictures of Gabrielle Union. And of what course, did you think of that picture? Well, the thing I like, the reason I picked that picture was it, it perfectly exemplified what I wrote in. And you're allowed to write a captions too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been lazy. i got to write but, a Because uh, I knew you were going to write the, the main caption for Gabrielle, but I wanted to point out that for me, what makes her work as a sex symbol mm-hmm. is she has this like almost perfect intersection of Madonna and whore, so to speak. Yeah. You look at that yeah, face yeah. and that face is totally sweet girl next door, somebody yeah. who's going to come by when you're doing a July 4th barbecue with some potato salad. Uh-huh. And, and lemonade. And lemonade and just sit with you and watch the fireworks. Mm-hmm. And you look at that body from the neck down, and you think, she'd take you around the block a couple oh, of times. Oh, yeah. She knows how to clean you. But you know exactly what I mean when I'm saying but, Carolyn Monroe. And, of course, a whole page devoted to the beautiful one. The patron saint of Better in the Dark. <laughs> Kristen Bell. Check that out. And we have also the full archives are over there. So if you want to refer back to... The early Guilt Edge Bonds episodes, you can find them there. You can do that. The episode we did on Vincent Price. Yeah, which, which we talked about briefly on the Roger Corman Director's Court. All right. And lots of other goodness. Lots of But I've said this before. The thing I love about Kelly's sense of website de- design is that he includes these little Easter eggs throughout the site. So let's say you click on the page that he has for the Marvel the Movie Series, which we mm-hmm. did in the first two years mm-hmm. of our run here. There's a little YouTube video that you can click on and look at. Yeah. And the site is ridiculously easy to navigate, yeah. which is what I love about it, Kelly. You be commended for your genius in design, and I don't use that word lightly. There's so much content on there yeah. that it would be easy for people to get lost, but Kelly has managed it in such a way that yeah. you'd have to work at it to get lost. You can find anything exactly. you want easily, quickly, and get to it. No fuss. And no on those bother. rare times when we record promos, if you have a podcast and you want to run a Better in the Dark promo, go to the Better in the Dark site. You can find them. Yeah. We usually only do them for specific episodes, but you can find them. He's Got everything thought of. And he did this totally out of the blue. We didn't even know he was doing it. Yeah, we didn't know he was doing it. He just Which told is why he, he is said, officially a great, great man. He just said, one day, fellas, do you mind if I do this fan site? We said, do we mind? Yeah. <laughs> do you object to my, for this episode, giving him the JT Cruel Stand-Up Guy Award for stand-up guyedness? Absolutely not. And by the way, I sometimes suspect that... I was wondering when you were going to mention that. Yeah, JT, I don't know if you listen, but I suspect you do, because occasionally you make references to the stuff that goes on in here. And I want to say congratulations on nabbing the Teen Titans job. Teen Titans being some of your favorite characters of all time. Of course, and 
in these two and a half some odd years where we have had some terrible, terrible Teen Titans storytelling, mm-hmm. some of the best work has been JT's work with them, both in the Blackest Night miniseries and the fill-in issues that he did. Even the Rise of Arsenal, which I did not care for, there are still these little nuggets which show that Cruel knows these characters, so I am so amazingly excited to see what he's got late in 2010. So, folks, if you're a comic book reader, and most of you who listen to us are, be sure to pick up J.T. Krull's run on Teen Titan, which is going to start with issue... Late in 2010. We don't know what issue yet. Okay. And if you're interested about the early days of Teen Titans, keep an eye on Earth2.net for DJ Comics Cavalcade, the odd-numbered episodes of which are tracing the earliest adventures of those characters. So, until next time... Where we will have better freaking movies to talk about. God, I hope so. Oh, we're going to make sure we have some. We're going to make sure. Because this is the summer of fun. Uh, that's right. Wait a minute. Uh, isn't the next summer time we record going to be talking about the Star Trek movies with Michael David Sims? Oh, uh, yeah. So we got to listen to your whining about that. I want to do Star Trek, Derek. Hey, <laughs> make a promise, keep a promise. I made a promise that we were going to do Star Trek, we're going to do Star Trek. But after watching that freaking goddamn, why say in 30 minutes what you can say in 2 hours and 16, complete with a 3 minute overture. See guys, this is what I have to put up with. Even after this is over with, he's going to call me up in the middle of the well, night. Well, we're going to walk down Flatbush to meet your wife. I, I promise we won't talk about this anymore. He's gonna but nag- anyway. He's going to nag at me about, I don't want to watch Star Trek, Derek. So until next time, should I do it as Dean? Do it as Dean, yeah. You, so until next time. You restrain yourself. Go ahead. When you find a guy with a big iron skull for a head. But you just want to drink your scotch and make fun of that hot red head dressed like a chicken. Go, Go see, see that, that movie. movie. I miss you, Jerry. <laughs> Good night, God Good bless. night. Skull. That skull's got ice in it. You've been listening to Better in the Dark featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Zach Joyner and Joshua Bertoni of the Clone Saga Chronicles, Chad Bergeron of the Aka Podcast, the Dork Tones, Eric Frome, and of course the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark would cheerfully pretend to be a half-assed alcoholic secret agent who only had his fight scenes in long shot armed with a gun that shoots backwards if it meant he got to make out with Dahlia Lavi. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave us a review on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.bitdsite.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that it's hard to be taken seriously as a globe-trotting super spy when you tool around in a station wagon. Ed. These are the sleigh girls in Murderer's Row. They have plenty of lines, and they even get to say a few of them. Man, How's that for acting? <laughs> <laughs>